Hello there and uh, thanks for joining me again for another just brief reflection uh, on uh, the theme this time of guilt. Uh, I already did some reflections on guilt yesterday and it generated some interesting discussions, a couple of conversations with friends and some interesting questions. So I thought I would uh, revisit it and uh, try and go a little deeper. So if you haven't watched the first part, uh, just go back and uh, if you're on the YouTube, you can just probably find it. It'll be called On Guilt or something like that, part one. Um, and then this will kind of make more sense. But I will recap. Uh, basically, I was reflecting on um, this uh, line within Seminar 7 of Lacan's work where he says, the only thing of which we are guilty is giving ground relative to our desire. Right. So there's this line, this kind of aphorism, it's quite famous within kind of Lacanian circles and continental philosophy. People who don't know much about Lacan will have still heard this phrase. The only thing of which we are guilty is to give ground relative to our desire. And like most of Lacan's works, it takes a little bit of unpacking and you can take it in a variety of different directions. But what I was looking at is I was showing the innovation or I was trying to show uh, the innovation that Lacan is making here in relation to guilt. So at a very basic level, the definition of guilt is the affect that is generated through the deadlock between who you are and who you would like to be. So that's the common sense definition, right? That the, uh, the guilt is the affect, it is the emotion basically, the affect that is generated from the deadlock that you experience between who you are and who you would like to be. So at a very basic level, that's the religious definition as well, and the very popular you know, definition. And it's that we feel a lack, that there is something in which I should be something that I'm not, right? So guilt is simply a form of lack. So Paul Tillich talks about this in uh, his book, um, oh, what's his book on existential theology? It escapes me. That's crazy. Uh, the Courage to Be. There you go. The Courage to Be. Um, that guilt is, that there's basically various forms of lack. Uh, and guilt is a form of lack. And it's where I don't do something and I feel I should have done it. Oh, I should have talked to my mom and I didn't, right? So in other words, there's a type of me that would have talked to my mom and answered the phone. And I didn't live up to that. And so there's a type of gap between who I am and my present and who I could have been. Or you don't give money to somebody or you know, you're, not, you're not there for a friend. Whatever it is, guilt comes about in relation to this separation. However, the problem with that, of course, is that it doesn't cover the uh, type of guilt that is very uh, prevalent within the clinic. It's actually the type of guilt that the Apostle Paul understood uh, that was central to Luther and the birth of the Protestant church. Uh, and basically that is the type of guilt that comes from someone who basically is what they think they should be, right? Who has closed that gap to a certain extent, right? So it's the guilt that comes from someone who is incredibly moral, who is obeying the law. But the more they obey the law and do what they think they should do, instead of feeling less guilt, they feel more guilt. So although they don't necessarily close the gap completely between who they are and who they would like to be, the closer they get to closing that gap, 
the more that they feel they're living up to the law um, that they feel they should live up to, uh, the more condemnation they feel. And of course, Paul talks about this in relation to the law breeding condemnation. So it's a very, uh, it's a Freudian idea, but it's also very much within that Pauline tradition. And so what Lacan is doing is he's trying to offer a definition that, that takes up the common sense notion, but also develops it and becomes more useful in the clinic, right? So it's not, basically it's not, um, it's not uh, uh, strong enough, it's not precise enough to be of use in a clinical way or in a theoretical way. So Lacan is kind of uh, doing something else. And uh, the example I used in part one was that example of someone being pulled over by the police and they immediately feel guilty. They've done nothing wrong. They're obeying the law, literally the law of the land, and yet they feel guilty. Um, and I talked about how that is a very particular human kind of guilt. Not the guilt in which you're not living up to that thing which you think you should be doing, but the, the radical condemnation that actually comes from attempting to obey the law, right? How do you find freedom from that? And that's what Lacan is talking about. Um, because yesterday I was said that basically the demand to obey the law uh, doesn't fit one-to-one -one with your desire. And what can happen is you, although you're obeying the law and you're doing exactly what you're told, if at a, at a deep unconscious level you are wanting to rebel against that law, like you want to speed off on the police officer, you want to um, kind of like shout at the police officer, even though you don't do it, even though you obey all the commands, there's still that desire in you. And that desire is where the guilt starts to arise out of. So you get this strange phenomenon where supposedly highly ethical groups start to consume each other and consume themselves. People talk about the circular firing squad, right? But uh, it's where you, the more your community attempts to uh, abide by the law of that community, the more guilt and condemnation occurs within it. And of course, for Luther, he is trying to work out the way to find freedom from this guilt. And it's similar for a neurotic within the psychoanalytic clinic. Uh, they're trying to work out how to escape this crippling guilt that they think they can get rid of by, by, by doing more that they feel that they should be doing. So they work harder, they achieve more, they're nicer people. And yet, weirdly, the closer they get to obeying the demands, uh, the more uh, the more uh, guilty they become until it becomes, as I say, condemnation. Um, so just to kind of like go a little bit deeper uh, into how this looks, uh, one of the issues is that when we obey the demands of our superego and the demands of the big other, society, etc., their family, um, we get into this interesting back and forth. I mean, you think about it in terms of growing up. At first, a kid basically obeys the demands of the family. And then, in adolescence, you resist the demands of your family. You try to push against them to a certain extent. And hopefully, as you move into adulthood, you um, 
you embrace your own desire, not for or against your parents, right? You don't, you're not either trying to rebel against what they think or accept what they think. You've, you've become your own person. You enter into a type of freedom. And within, uh, you know, the psychoanalytic frame, you have this kind of, um, you, you, you observe within the clinic this experience in which people um, get their desire caught up with demand. Right? They, they, they want to, at a conscious level, what's called secondary processes, which is your conscious level. You want to obey the demands. You want to do what's right. You want to uh, go to the party you're going to and obey the demands of the party, right? the, the unwritten rules of how to behave in a certain place. You kind of want to do that. Uh, but that can then generate a desire to... Uh, it basically makes transgression of the demands more appealing, right? The more that you obey the demands, the more appealing it starts to feel that just to, just to throw caution to the wind and say what you want and, and do what you want. And what you get caught up in is this weird um, dialectic between obeying the demands of society and wanting to resist them. And then what happens is, you know, you go, you go a year of being the nice, quiet person who's very good, always does what they're told, and then you explode in anger, right? <laughs> and then you do the opposite. You kind of blow up at somebody uh, in a way that seems to be very disproportionate to uh, what's, what, what would be uh, expected. Um, now, the way beyond this uh, is to not give ground to your desire. Right, so to not give ground to your desire means that you, how do you do this? So I, I have a friend, here's a good example, who, who obeys the speed limit. And very few people obey the speed limit, right? People obey the speed limit, that's the demand of society, that's the law. And then they break the speed limit. And you're in this back and forth between basically obeying the speed limit and then wanting to break it. Right? And the more you obey it, the more you want to break it. And, and it's, you're allowed to break it to a certain extent and occasionally you get a ticket. But my friend, uh, he obeys the speed limit, not because it's the law, uh, but just because he wants to. Now, he wants to for a variety of reasons. One, he's in no rush. He thinks it's fine. Just I want to take my time. I don't want to be speeding around trying to get to places. Two, he doesn't want to get tickets. He's going like, oh, I go by the speed limit and um, I won't ever get a ticket. And uh, uh, three, it's safe, right? He goes, oh, you know, speed limits, it's much safer. I'm not going to get into accidents or anything like that. But he's kind of taken this on board himself. It's his desire. He's not doing it because the law tells him to. Um, and he's not resisting uh, and kind of speeding. And it's very frustrating because I was behind him one time. He was, I was following him somewhere and he was going at 30 miles an hour in this completely uh, derelict, uh, 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 a road that had nobody else on it, right? Completely empty. And still he's going 30 miles an hour uh, because he's just, he's, he's doing that purely out of his own desire. Not, as I say, because he has to or the police will arrest him or he's rebelling against it. And uh, actually, Todd McGowan in his book, Emancipation After Hegel, uses the same example, interestingly, of people who, who obey the speed limit, not because of the law. So weirdly, you're not obeying the law uh, directly. You're fulfilling the law by not considering the law. And this, this basically comes to the idea that when our desire is connected to 
demand to the law of our family and society, it actually becomes unhealthy and we start to repress, we start to create transgressive desires and then we start to define ourselves against those laws. Or at a conscious level, we define ourselves as law-abiding citizens, but at our what's called primary processes, unconsciously, we desire to do all sorts of crazy things. So for example, someone playing computer games, uh, they're very quiet at work and they always do the right thing, but then they go home and maybe play very violent video games um, as a way of kind of potentially, you know, uh, giving expression to this transgressive desire right and that's not everybody plays games but you know you can you can see how somebody might completely want to obey the rules of society and then have some sort of outlet to express their anger and frustration but once you get beyond the law which means you are able to directly embrace your desire um, then you can find yourself acting in healthier ways that are neither defined by what society thinks is right, but neither defining yourself against what society thinks is right, right? So you're neither the, 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 the person who defines themselves as a rebel or as a conservative, right? You, you simply find a way to live and sometimes that's in sync with society and sometimes it's not, but it will generally be a healthier form of desire. And then just one thing about desire is when, when you think about not compromising your desire, that doesn't mean that if you want to torture cats, you shouldn't compromise your desire, you want to torture cats, right? Um, your fundamental fantasy, your fundamental desire is not a content, it's a form. So for example, I know somebody who uh, you know, wants to be a mother, wants to have children, um, but they can't have kids. And at first you go okay so they want to have this maternal dimension to their life and at a very concrete level of content there is an obstacle to having the kids so they're kind of screwed but it's not the case because the desire is a structural form you can be maternal in many different ways you can create you can well adopt a kid you can create something in terms of uh, music or art or writing you can become a teacher there's lots of ways in which that desire can manifest itself the only thing you shouldn't do is compromise your desire right you can compromise how that desire expresses itself that can change but the actual if you if you but if you go against your actual desire in relation to the demands of society then you will end up uh, unhealthy and destructive and it will come out in negative ways what's called the return of the repressed you repress your desire your desire returns and it returns aggressively in sickness or in emotional outbursts or in all sorts of symptoms um, so the idea is, is to realize that uh, often or there are our conscious desire to follow the law, to follow the demands of society, gets us into this annoying dialectic of nine times out of 10, we're good law-abiding citizens, we try to do the right thing, and then one time out of 10, we blow up in a negative way. And it can actually increase our experience of guilt. And the more we try to do the right thing, the more guilty we feel. And we feel more and more guilty because the law generates the desire to transgress the law. I've talked about that loads of times before, so I don't want to say too much about that. 
But of course, the the idea of saying to a kid, don't eat that, don't open that jar when I leave the room. The, the, the law generates the desire to transgress the law. So now the child is in this dialectic of wanting to obey and also wanting to disobey. And the more they try to obey, then the more guilty they can feel because the more they repress the desire and the more it comes out in an unhealthy way. Once you get past that dialectic, and for Paul, it's the, you know, the, the idea of love, right, which, which exists without the law, and yet, you know, weirdly allows you to be a healthier person. The more you can get over that dichotomy, the less guilt you will feel. And I'll use one concrete example, a clinical example, uh, and then we'll, we'll finish up. And it's a clinical example, uh, I think I read it in a book of Shizek's, um, of this woman who uh, she was sleeping around a lot and she was having lots of unprotected sex and she felt guilty about this. She felt like it wasn't good for her life. She felt people were judging her. She felt that, um, that her family would judge her, that she was judging herself about doing this. But like, you know, most weekends she would go out, she would end up having these one night stands. And she felt that at least the guilt was the thing that was stopping her from doing it even more, right? If she didn't feel guilty, she would be doing it even more and potentially have, uh, you know, some negative results. But actually through the analysis, the guilt began to drop. You got rid of the guilt. You don't have to feel guilty. If that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do, right? Don't worry about the transgressions and the demands of society, right? If that's what you want to do, do it. But as the demand lowered, as the law began to diminish that created the guilt. So did the desire to transgress. So what happened is basically as her guilt about sleeping around lowered, so her desire to do that lowered. And of course, you know, she can still go out and have one night stands, but the, um, the, the negative dimension of that just disappeared entirely. So this is an example of when you get rid of the demand, the law that says, you know, don't do this, don't do that, you realize that actually that's what is generating the desire to transgress that law, to do that behavior. So when you get rid of the law, you also get rid of the desire to transgress the law. And therefore you can enter into a kind of a healthier mode of being. And uh, you know, this could be called forgiveness or something like that. So I hope uh, in these two short reflections on guilt, we just were able to kind of like uh, give another angle to the subject that the, the, the religious and kind of common sense notion of guilt, which is, as I said, the affect that is generated from the deadlock between who you are and who you want to be, doesn't cover the most powerful form of guilt that um, many people experience, which is the guilt that comes precisely from getting closer and closer to who they think they should be. And the reason for that is because the law the demands of society generate the desire to transgress them. So then you get into this dialectic between demand and desire that generates guilt and generates repression and then the violent return of the repressed. But that if you're able to transgress that and move beyond that, to let go of the law, you also let go of the desire to transgress the law and you can kind of hopefully live freer. And just the, as the example of my friend, um, is that now he's driving around at the speed limit, but not because he's like, you know, guilty and he really doesn't want the big other to judge him. He doesn't care, doesn't care. And he's not trying to transgress by speeding. He just fully embraces his desire outside of that law transgression dialectic. 
All right, hope that was uh, useful to you. I may do a part three, I'm not sure, because every time I do one of these, people ask interesting questions or they ask for clarification. So maybe if you have some questions about what I've said, you can write them down uh, on Facebook or on YouTube, wherever you're watching this. And um, uh, you know, I can address them in a future uh, video. In fact, regardless, if, you, if there's something you would like me to talk about, please write it down. You know, I won't talk about anything that I haven't reflected on. I hate that whenever people who know about one subject and start talking about gardening or something like that. But if I, I do feel I have something I can say to a subject, I will try and do that. So please do write down your comments, your questions, your disagreements, your um, uh, where you would like me to go with these kind of short video reflections. So until next time, take care. Bye bye.